The Money Show with Bruce Whitfield, your number one news and talk station. This is The Money Show. I'm Bruce Whitfield. Welcome to the show this evening, brought to you by Old Mutual, a licensed financial services provider. Today's the day. Get great financial advice. Do great things. Uh, on the show tonight, Best Bits, bringing you some of uh, the most reflective bits on The Money Show this week, some of the bits you've liked online. You can listen to our podcast. Um, just download the podcast via... You can ask Siri. You can say, Siri, you can get word. You say, hey, and then the name Siri. And then you can say... Give me the latest podcast, Money Show podcast. And she will. She's very good at that. Um, you can also uh, catch up with the, with the Brutal Biz quiz this evening. Just a little warm-up question for you this evening on the Brutal Biz quiz. Uh, where was the first South African spur opened? South African spur opened more than 50 years ago. Now, where was it opened? That is a warm-up question to tonight's Brutal Biz quiz. You can let me know on 31702 and 31567 on The Money Show. It has to go down as one of the longest corporate careers in history. Does Alan Ambor's career. He stuck it out for 51 years in the company that he founded in 1967 and then opened that original restaurant in that place, which you can SMS me on 31702 and 31567. The uh, founder and executive chairman of Spur is retiring, but only next year. The founder and executive chairman of Spur has got to give a 12-month notice period. That's funny. I'm sure he negotiated that for himself. He's 76 years old um, and is still going strong. Is Alan Ambor at Spur. But where did he open that first Spur? The Money Show. Your number one news and talk station. Well, the launch today of probably the world's coolest business news website in South Africa, or the South African version of the world's coolest business news website. And I've got to say that it is the coolest business news website in the world because I will be contributing to the local site. The founder of businessinsider.com is Henry Blodgett. He is the chief executive, the founding editor-in-chief as well. 120 million users, Henry, around the world on businessinsider.com. Big in the U.S., big in the U.K., what on earth is South Africa going to add to your empire? Well, we're so excited. First of all, thank you for having me, and thank you for deeming us the coolest site. We're going to have to use that in the United States as well. <laughs> uh, but we're, no, we're, tre- we're tremendously excited. We, this is the launch of actually our 17th regional and, and country edition. What we found is that our audience has very much embraced the idea of having both access to the stories that we're producing in the United States and the UK around the world, but also local stories. And the team has launched with a wonderful slate of stories this morning, um, uh, today rather, and uh, we're just thrilled to have a, 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 an addition focused on the country. What you've done is you've taken business news and you've turned it on its head. You've taken business news and made it appealing to people who don't give a damn about what EBITDA means or whether earnings were up or down. It's personality driven. It's trend driven. It's the, the cool side of what business does and can achieve. That's right. It's about the people in business as much as anything. I worked on Wall Street for 10 years, and there were a lot of great business publications that mastered the technical aspects of what businesses did and the cash flow and and so forth. But what seemed to be missing in that were just the incredible stories day to day about the personalities and the fun involved and the challenges and successes and failures. And so when we launched, we wanted to put the fun back in business and we wanted to create a new way of telling stories and distributing stories for this medium, for digital, not try to transplant broadcast or print. Um, and that has resonated. And the, the growth over the last many years has been, it's been spectacular. And we're so grateful for everyone who has 
and help read our stories or watch our stories, in, including in South Africa. Um, you, you trained and you worked as an investment professional on Wall Street, and you got yourself into a spot of bother. Elliot Spitzer was a bit grumpy with you at one point and stopped you from, from being an investment professional on Wall Street, and, uh, and you opted out of that. But you're still right on investments, and if I follow your Twitter feed, you've got two particular interests. One is markets, clearly stocks excite you, and you've got a deep suspicion of the NRA and America's gun obsession. That's just a cursory glance through your Twitter feed. Are those your two big passions? <laughs> well, markets and finance, I know well, having worked on Wall Street for 10 years, and we are in yet another era that is being described as a new era with new valuations and the old measures don't matter. And, and for me, this is an echo of the 1990s when lots of us were saying the same things. And then it turned out that the old valuations were going to reassert themselves violently and we had this tremendous crash. So the markets are in a very exciting place right now. I think a very dangerous place, um, but it is, it's very exciting to watch that. In terms of the NRA and the, the situation in the United States, this is a very topical issue. We had a, another horrific massacre in one of our schools this week, and it's just yet another reminder that we are really the only country in the world that has this problem, and yet there is a national refusal to recognize that it is a gun control problem, not a mental health problem or, or what have you. And so this is a, a, a big topic of conversation and a very important issue for the country to solve. And I think that what's happened where the students at this school, the survivors who have now galvanized and are now starting a big national conversation about it, I think it's remarkable and inspiring to see. Um, let's go back to Business Insider and your obsession with Elon Musk. We know Elon Musk, born in South Africa, we're very proud of his achievements too. But you guys are treating him like Thomas Edison must have been treated 100 years ago. And deservedly so. <laughs> he is one of the most inspiring and exciting people on the planet. And I say that, I believe that is no exaggeration. I think Elon Musk has been able to not only articulate these fantastic visions that seem impossible, but actually made them happen. And he is an entrepreneur in the original sense of the word, which is somebody who embraces risk. A lot of people who call themselves entrepreneurs actually aren't really taking much risk. They have a fun job for a little while, and if it doesn't work, they go on to something else. In Elon Musk's case, he has laid down his own capital. He has produced rockets, a new car company, which has not happened in this country in more than 50 years. He has gotten us all talking about the Hyperloop. He's now talking about digging tunnels under cities to, to put the Hyperloop in and transport stuff. It is fantastically inspiring. And, and all I can say is, from having had Elon speak at one of our conferences, the, the effect he has on people in terms of just inspiring them to do bigger and better things is remarkable to watch. Do you see yourself as a, a maverick cut from a similar cloth? <laughs> I would never say similar. I, I would say that I, I, I hope that I've been able to contribute um, a new way of approaching the media business in a new era, but it's, it's incredibly small relative to what Elon has accomplished. Um, how, do you, how do you make money? Um, with Business Insider. It's been the, the great big blockage within all media and the transition from print into digital. And um, some media houses have got it right behind firewalls. The New York Times famously did it. And uh, many others have tried around the world and failed. How's Business Insider paid for? 
Well, the industry is still evolving rapidly, and our philosophy and thinking when we started the company 10 years ago was that digital would evolve its own mode of storytelling and its own economic model, just the same way that television and radio evolved to be very different than print. And really, if you look at digital now, it is as different from print and TV and radio as they are from each other. And our model is built on both advertising, which is the main uh, revenue stream right now, and subscriptions and licensing. And and we, we've always wanted to have a dual source of revenue. We feel like that creates a much more powerful business, but also more importantly, a, a much more stable and richer editorial budget where we can cover lots of different things that we wouldn't be able to do with one alone. Um, and we're rapidly moving toward that. And, and I would say the industry continues to evolve and figure out what's going to work. And the very tenuous period of a few years ago for a company like the New York Times, I think we're past that now. I think that, that companies like the New York Times and others have figured out models that are going to be sustainable for the next 10, 20 to 50 years. Take me through this principle of the aggregation of news. Lots of people have tried it, and it becomes this mess of information and data, or data as you might call it. And It's just everything looks like the same salad made in the same sort of factory. Would you? And Ariana Huffington seem to have got right, is to make content compelling. So similar stories that have been told all over the world, but just tweaked to make to give them an identity. I, I think that's exactly right. I think that news travels so fast now across all channels that the moment it travels everyone immediately asks, okay, but what does it mean? And what is your view of it? And what we've always tried to do is, is not only bring relevant news to the people we want to reach, the smart new generation of, of leaders, uh, we want to immediately tell them what it means and, and how they might think about it. And we want to figure out what is most important about it and not, not uh, just leave it ultimately to the reader or viewer to think about that. And so storytelling is very core to what we do. And ultimately, the Internet has created this level playing field where any story anywhere in the world is really a click away. And so you really have to work hard to add value to our readers and, and viewers. And that's what we try to do. Henry Blodgett, thanks for joining us from New York, uh, Business Insider Chief Executive. The launch today in South Africa of businessinsider.co.za. It's an irreverent look at business news. It is often a cheeky look at business news. It'll infuriate you, no doubt. Some of the headlines will will get up your nose. But many, 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 many of the stories will uh, invigorate you and will excite you. And you listen to Henry Blodgett's excitement around Elon Musk. um, And he's completely, Business Insider is Elon Musk. They like Elon Musk more than Elon Musk's kids like Elon Musk, I suspect. There is that much admiration for the guy and what he's achieved. Um, have a look at, uh, have a look at the, the new edition of businessinsider.co.za. The Money Show. The Markets. David Peacock is looking weary after what's been a most exciting week in South Africa in the last decade. This time last week, um, Stephen Curtis was at Parliament and uh, John Matham was at Parliament. Koketso Sechani was preparing to take over from John Matham at Parliament and everybody was getting very excited and it was huge anticipation. The red carpet and Kathy Moslatana at ENCA was talking to everybody on the red carpet and she was talking to Maluski Gaba about his future and he said um, it, it's up to the president to appoint and disappoint ministers, which is the best quote of the entire week. Um, And that was the State of the Nation just a week ago. And it feels, David Peacock, from Sunland Private Wealth, that we've all aged about a year in that week. It's been Mm. a whole 
middle of a long week, but what a tumultuous and exciting week it has been. Bruce, it, it has been a tumultuous week and and, uh, and that, but I must say, uh, even though it's quite exhausting, it's actually quite uh, revitalizing as well because I think that in, in terms of, of what's anticipated from the, the change with Cyril coming in, uh, we should see, and it appears in, in probably and hopefully the not-too-distant future, some fairly significant changes. And uh, amusingly, when Malusi Gigaba started his uh, his budget speech, the first thing he said to Cyril was, you know, Mr. President, how long do I have? <laughs> so, <laughs> and you know, the president didn't respond. Yeah, yeah. So, so from that perspective, I, I think that, you know, given what we've had in the last while and, and sort of looking forward, I would say that things look like they're going to start becoming a lot more positive in terms of, of possibly reducing the size of, of, uh, of the ministers, which went from sort of 31 posts to sort of over 70 under, under Mr. Zuma's uh, uh, leadership. Uh, so that will be a significant saving. I think that the rating agencies and their comments in terms of, of the fact that they were comfortable with the budget, it wasn't a fantastic budget, but it was a fairly neutral and, and safe budget. Um, and I think that possibly sets a scene for, you know, in March and May when when um, our, um, our interest rate decisions come down the line, that there's a chance that we could well see possibly one or two interest rate cuts in the not too distant future. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, all uh, of those mm. things are, are going to be very positive for South Africa. Absolutely. And everybody's upgrading their growth forecasts. I mean, even the National Treasury's own forecast went from 0.7% growth this year to 1%. It's not mm. much. Mm. But all of the analysts I'm talking to are saying 1.5 to 1.6. And yeah. even they are looking a bit conservative, yeah. frankly. Yeah. I, I would agree with you there. Remember that, that historically, um, I think that South Africa was too aggressive in terms of their growth anticipation. And I think that was a bit of a fudge. But I agree with you in terms of this year. I think that you could well have closer to one and a half and, and hopefully better than that uh, mm. for the year. Um, yeah, and, that's, and that bodes well. And it sort of came through in the market today. The JSE is down about three quarters of a percent week on week. But the mm. rand is much stronger mm. um, than it was this time last week. And what we have seen is a resurgence in confidence in banking shares and in mm. retailers and in yeah. companies like Bidvest and other there's companies yeah. focused on the domestic economy in South Correct. Africa. People Correct. are prepared to start paying real money for those shares again. Shoprite has gone from like 180 rand to 250 mm. rand mm. in the last month or two. Correct. So the first thing is is a change in terms of 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 sentiment, and secondly, as I said earlier, the anticipation that rates will probably be coming down uh, earlier on in the end. And really, this sort of rotation from the sort of rand hedge theme to to local is lacquer kind of situation where for a long time the valuations on, for example, Bidvest and a number of those sort of stocks have been quite attractive. But given what was happening in the uncertainty, were you know, they were just totally off the, the buy list for, for a lot of investors. EOH, anything happening there? I mean, what a mad day mm. that was. I yeah. mean, huge volatility there. It's up another 15% yeah. today. It's, yeah. it's trading in big ranges mm. and... Mm. In big chunks. Bruce, I couldn't find anything on, on no. EOH. We had a look around. So I don't know if it was a, a bit of a short squeeze that happened or something like that, but we, we couldn't find anything significant on EOH. And a short squeeze is if somebody has borrowed shares and has sold those shares in the market and suddenly has to buy them back to give them to somebody yeah. back on Monday, suddenly they have to buy the shares in the market. Nobody wants to sell, so they have yeah. to pay a huge price in order to a get those shares. Margin. A huge correct. margin. A huge margin. They have to buy, pay a huge price in order to buy back the shares so that they can 
Correct. they lose money, which is funny. Correct. Exactly. <laughs> um, okay, so the JSE up 560 points, 58,715. Probably the most exciting thing that has happened this week is looking at the R186 government mm. bond. Mm. We look at our national debt sitting at between yeah. two and two and a half trillion yeah. rand. The, yeah. the, the debt service cost, the interest we have to pay, mm. 180 mm. billion for mm. now, budgeted to go over 200 billion in three years' time. Yeah. The R186 government bond fell lower than 8% Correct. during the budget speech. Yeah. On Wednesday, and it gives you a very clear indication that markets are comfortable, ratings agencies are comfortable, Correct. that this budget buys us time to be grown up. And exactly. So, so from that perspective, that's exactly probably one of the best uh, sort of fir- forms of confidence in terms of, of expectations where the where the country is going. So again, in terms of uh, the fact that I don't believe we will be downgraded by Moody's in March this year, that already gives you that stability. And and let's be honest, in terms of where interest rates are in, in the United States and Europe, South African rates are, are still looking very, very attractive and look like they won't be changing you know, significantly to the worse in, in the, the sort of six months to nine months ahead. How good is your business trivia? Uh, okay, we'll try it. Okay, where? Don't look at my notes. Um, where, <laughs> I can't see your notes. <laughs> where, was the, where was the first spur opened in 1967? Okay, so that would have been somewhere in Cape Town. Yep, okay. okay. Narrow so it down that, a bit. Uh, Newlands. Yes, narrow it down a bit. And uh, I don't know where exactly Newlands, but the interesting thing is that the the initial capital outlay was 4,000 rand. Was that how which, much he laid yeah, out? Which in those days was quite, A lot of money. Uh, yeah, it was a lot of money. Probably uh, yeah. in 1967, that was probably in today's money a good 70,000 rand or thereabouts. Possibly slightly more. So a motor car in those days was, for example, 400 rand yeah. kind of thing. So it gives you that. that so, so it would be equivalent to a house. So a couple of million is, is probably what I would say would be the, the, the start. And the Alan Ambo had 4,000 rand. The legend yeah. is that he was going down to Cape Town on yeah. behalf of Steers. And Steers yeah. in those days was a steakhouse concept. Yeah. And he was going to start a Steers steakhouse. But communication wasn't quite as good as it is today. And I think yeah. he started to book phone calls and stuff. And they had a fallout. The Halamandares and Halamandares yeah. and Alan Ambo had a fallout. Yeah. And so he went, fine, I'll do my own thing. And yeah. so he started Spur in Dean Street in Newlands. Some of you, um, wow. Baker Square and Rosebank, maybe that was the first Joburg one. But um, mm. And people are telling me, it's the golden spur. Yeah, it was the golden spur. And then he opened the, the seven spur, which was in Seapoint after that. Now, the golden spur is on the corner of Dean Street and Main Road in Newlands. I wonder if that is on the original site. Can anybody tell me if that is on the original site? And does it still have the original fittings? I wonder. Um, but yeah, Dean Street in Newlands. Um, the Capetonians are onto this one tonight. This, we've got one. Um, and Mark Kaplan is absolutely, con- 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 yeah, absolutely convinced that the first spur was in Greenside. And people have the waterfront. The waterfront, James, didn't exist <laughs> back then. This is 1967. This is more than 50 years ago. The news today that Alan Ambor, on a 12-month notice period, the executive chairman of Spur, is stepping down. He's 76, yeah. um, and he's, yeah. uh, he's had a huge run in it. And they've got like 600 stores across different brands, and Spur mm. being the dominant one, of course. Spur Corporation found its feet at Dean Street in Newlands in Cape Town, mm. 4,000 rand in startup capital way back in 1967. Is it on the original site? 021-446-0567-011-883-0702. And were you there on the first night? And did they have a salad valley? And what was the service like? (laughs) So the news today that Alan Ambor is retiring at the age of 76 next year after 51 years of founding the Spur Corporation. The first Spur was in Dean Street 
in Newlands in Cape Town. Nick Durant says, I was at the Golden Spur as a kid and a student. Pam in Constantia, were you there on the first night, Pam, more than 50 years ago? I wasn't there on the first night, no, but I was there many nights after that. <laughs> Is it still on the same spot in Dean Street? No, no, it isn't. It's now on the corner, as you said, on the corner of Dean and Main. It was one block up, um, sort of opposite the entrance to that Westerford um, complex. Okay, I think I know where you are. I think I know where you yeah. are, Pam. Okay, but no, just a little yeah. bit of trivia this evening. Thank you, Pam, for clarifying that. Uh, Pam yeah. in Constantia this evening. Jeff, you worked at the Golden Spur as a waiter. Were you any good? I'm uh, probably not very good <laughs> at all, I must tell you. But I needed the money. I was a student. <laughs> How long I ago was that, yeah, Jeff? Because, uh, I think it was in about 79, 80. I was at ECT. But um, I didn't hear what Pam said. I think it was Pam, the last caller. Yeah. I, I don't think the original premises are still no. there. No. They, they built the Dean Street Mall. Yeah. Jeff, no, the, the, the original premises, apparently, according to my SMS line, and boy, do people care about Spur. Alan Ambor, if you're ever concerned as to whether or not you've had an impact on South African society, well, SMS line tells me that it was a significant contribution. Um, and people are talking about it. The first Spur in a shopping centre in Dean and Main Street, next to a CNA, now on the main road, says Craig. The original shopping centre in which the Spur was in, Jeff, where you used to work and possibly used to wait um, on, on, on our callers this evening, um, that, that first Spur that building has been uh, knocked down. It doesn't exist anymore. But yeah, in the vicinity of the original Spur, they kept the Golden Spur name. But yeah, more than 600 stores across uh, across the world now, mostly South Africa with some across the African continent, of course, and a couple in the Middle East. They've tried China and they've, they've experimented a bit. But yeah, Alan Abel, the announcement today that at the age of 76, he's got a 12-month cooling-off period. What is it? A 12-month notice period. He'll be retiring in March. The Money Show. Your number one news and talk station. The Money Show brought to you by Old Mutual, a licensed financial services provider. Today's the day. Get great financial advice. Do great things. Welcome to The Money Show. Time to uh, play catch up on The Money Show with the best bits of The Money Show from this week. It was Budget Week. Of course, the Finance Minister, Malusi Gigaba, uh, presenting the budget speech. Took him an awfully long time. It took an hour and 45 minutes. We spoke to the economist, Tabi Liorca, and she said the budget speech resembled 10 years of economic mismanagement. All the increases in, in VAT and taxes um, as a result of the past nine years of very slow economic growth, um, high unemployment, mismanagement, corruption, all of that. And um, we're almost starting afresh. We're correcting the sins of the past and we have to pay for it. Yep, and we're going to have to pay for it for, for some time to come. Um, I would have liked an indication that if we get our economy back on track, that we'll get some sort of cuts into the future, but that seems a long way off. Ah, uh, yes. It, it, you know, it, it, does, it will be in, in, I guess, many years to come. I mean, if you, you look at the Treasury's forecast on GDP, and Treasury, remember, is usually much higher than most analysts, the Reserve Bank, uh, and, and even World Bank and IMF, they expect growth of 2.1% in 2020. So we're still not growing above 3%. And you need growth in order for you to, um, we need growth in order for us to reduce the unemployment rate. But aren't we seeing growth numbers being radically conservative? 
we're still asking where growth will come from. Yeah. So, you know, most people are saying, and the Treasury is saying, that um, they expect uh, growth to be supported by growth in global growth. Um, so the global economy is supposed to is expected to improve, and that is supposed to help us. The commodity story, this is the second time they mention it. And last year I said, no, it's not going to boost our GDP to the extent where we're you know, growing uh, above 1%. So I'm still not certain about the improvement in commodity prices. And we're also seeing uh, fuel prices, international fuel prices increase. And that is goes against um, growth for us because we are uh, net importers of fuel. Tamilioka, the economist, giving her assessment of uh, the budget of Malusi Gigaba, the first under the Cyril Ramaphosa administration on Wednesday this week. We had the member of the CEO initiative, the chairman of Business Leadership South Africa, Jabu Mabuza, being a little bit more generous. Yeah, I think it's, a, it's, it's always going to be a challenge. You still have to address uh, And these provided uh, uh, $123 billion in housing, 125 in water, in health. Uh, in transport, uh, in peace, and in the economic infrastructure. So I guess in the in the final uh, uh, analysis, uh, it is what it is—a balancing act. Uh, and I think uh, he's done he's done very well. Now, with the water crisis in Cape Town, and I know Day Zero has been moved out until July, but everyone's looking for innovative ways of accessing water. So we thought that we would take a non-profit organization that has developed uh, the Hippo Water Roller into a project. We had the chief executive, Grant Gibbs, in studio as a shapeshifter, really not keen to commercialize the Hippo Roller. He sees it as a great CSI initiative, and it was so interesting as to why he gets out of bed every morning. We went through a re- an exercise recently of just having a look at our identity and, and so on. And, and what we eventually came up with was simple ideas changing lives. And really, is it is all about changing lives. That's what we, how we measure the impact that we're making. That's really what matters to us. Not so much the quantity of rollers we sell, but how many lives are we impacting on. And we, we typically work on an average of about, an, uh, sort of a conservative average of about seven people directly benefiting from one but we've found some communities, there's one in Mozambique, for example, where something like 40,000 people are benefiting from just 30 rollers, so they're sharing them. That is an amazing story. You can get that and all the other stories that we've covered this week on our podcasts. Of course, you just have to ask Siri, as Heidi Edwards did, and she said, oh, it works. And you'd just say, Siri, with the right, uh, with the right exclamation, and you say, play the money show, and the most recent money show will play. Most popular interview of the week. What an extraordinary guy DJ Euphonic is. His mum and dad called him Tembo Ngorsi, but um, he goes by the name of DJ Euphonic. He has got a show on 947, our sister station. He was our Make Money Monday special edition guest, and he started out DJing at a very young age. Music is in his blood. He used to pay his dad to drive him around. His dad was Uber before Uber was Uber. Yvonne told us about his early experiences. When I was um, 14 years old, I think every single weekend until my matric year, um, I was doing one gig or other, you know. Um, and at the time, it was like 250 rand for, for the night. So I was the first person there and the last person to leave. Um, my dad used to drive me there. So I'd give him like 50 bucks for driving me there and then 100 bucks to rent out his sound system. Then I'd be left with 100 rand um, to go buy more music. And at the time, like I didn't care about like wearing Jordans or like I, I didn't care about anything else but making sure that I had more music. You were you dating yourself, you know, because like wearing Jordans was cool at the point <laughs> in history. No, you know, you know, you know. For me, um, d- wearing Jordans, yes, was cool. But the family that I come in, uh, come from, sorry, um, 
we were raised that like at home I had chores. So whether it was um, cleaning the pool, cleaning my the, 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 the yard, making sure it was cleanly swept, washing my dad's car, washing my mom's car, making sure my dad's shoes were polished every day um, before work. Hey, that's a good one. Sorry, I was writing it. And feeding and looking after the dogs all equated to, um, to money. So if I wanted a pair of Jordans, I had to say, cool, I've earned enough to get a pair of Jordans, which was basically, so if I came up with half the money for whatever it is I wanted, my parents would then put in the other half. So from back then, I realized that like, okay, cool, I'm only going to put half my money into the things that like I actually want. And a pair of Jordans, unfortunately, as high as it was on my list of priorities, fell off very, very quickly when it was like, okay, you can have it, but come up with half the money. But isn't that, wasn't that the best lesson you could have had from mom and dad? I mean, they, they taught you to respect the money, that money doesn't come easily. You know, um, and, you, and you learn how to value it. When I was growing up, I hated them. And I thought, like, this is, like, so uncool. But, you know, when you grow up, it's when you start realizing that, like, you know, every single cent and every single rand counts. And you need to be accountable for every single um, money that you make. And also just realizing that, like, listen, making money isn't the easiest thing. And I realized then that it's not easy to make money. So when you do make it, um, try and make sure that you keep it and spend it on the things that you absolutely need. Needless to say, now I've probably got like 300 pairs of shoes at my house that uh, I hardly no, Of course. I mean, you, you, you got you to make up. You got to make up for lost opportunities. Naturally. <laughs> The Imelda Marcos of Broadcasting. His name is uh, DJ Euphonic. He's a colleague here at Prime Media Broadcasting and came into studio to tell us all about his attitude towards money. And you loved it. You listened to that podcast a lot. Podcasts available, of course, via our website. You can get them via the uh, iTunes store. They're free. Download them and have a listen. Share them with your friends. Brutal Biz Quiz time. What is that process called when an auditor determines if the lifestyle you lead is commensurate with your income? What do they call that thing? And I'm going to be strict. 011-8830702-021-446-0567. The Money Show. The best quiz. Right. Uh, what is the process called by whether an auditor will determine if the lifestyle an employee lives is commensurate with that person's income stream? Uh, Karen or Karen in Frederhook? Yes, Bruce, it's living standard measure. I'll let them. That's not, I'm afraid, Karen. Um, you'll kick yourself. Lerato in Midrand? It's a lifestyle audit. It's a lifestyle audit. That's what we were talking about, Karen. Uh, President Cyril Ramaphosa saying lifestyle audits for top government officials need to be carried out. Which company's new head office is located on the corner of Catherine Street and Ravonia Road in Santon? There's a soccer pitch on the roof. Uh, it's Discovery. It's discovery. It is discovery. I spoke to Adrian Gore about the group's financial performance this week, and he says he's not superstitious. He's not worried about the curse of the new head office. Which water innovation was invented by two guys? One was Petty Petzer, and the other was Johan Jonker. I think it was a roller, hippo, or something like that. The hippo water roller, absolutely right. To get this one right, I'm going to make you Lerato, the wizard of the Brutal Biz Quiz. Which snappy dresser quoted the U.S. rapper Kendrick Lamar's song All Right in Parliament this week? Uh, Malusi Gigaba. Malusi Gigaba, you were bragging rights for the entire weekend. You didn't give Maestro Shepard, Modise, Trish or George 
a turn. Maestro, Shepherd, Modise, Trish and George, please try next week. Lerato is not a sharing kind of guy. Lerato, well done to you. You're the wizard of the Brutal Biz quiz this evening. And uh, you're going to get bragging rights for the entire weekend. Malus Gigaba uh, quoting uh, Kendrick Lamar. I think that's got to be a first you for a budget this. speech. Of course we do. The Lamars and us, we like, we hooked, we, we're close. Um, yeah, well done to you, Lerato. You are the wizard of the Biz quiz.